You know what I recently had? What? A pickle soaked in moonshine. How was that? I was eating it and I was like, it's like, I like it, but damn. <laughs> <laughs> like, it burned so bad, oh, but it tasted so good. It's disgusting. I was like, ooh, damn. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where sometimes a ghost is a wish. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, we are beginning our coverage of Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House. Oh my goodness, guys. Never has a series wrecked me as such. Oh no, yeah. This this series is a lot. And uh, very much in the same way that you were excited to talk through John Adams with me, I'm very excited to talk through this series. I need to process this with somebody else. Mike Flanagan is kind of a genius. Uh, yeah, like in a very frustrating way. Midnight Mass? Yeah. Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass may be an empirically perfect miniseries. Like, the thing is, the thing about Midnight Mass is that I just... I cannot believe how thoroughly that actually disturbed me. Yeah. Like, most horror shit I can get through, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was gruesome, or oh, that was terrifying, but, like, I'm okay. Uh Like, it didn't affect me terribly in the moment, because, like, I just expect shit. But, like... I bugged you and bugged you and bugged you for weeks to watch it with me. I I was so... You remember remember the viewing experience with me. I do. I was so uncomfortable. Like, he did such a good job. They all did. Everyone he works with, the, the, the talent that he has surrounding him is just amazing. Yeah, he has his own little mafia. Yeah, the Mike Flanagan mafia. (laughs) His own little gang. I do. (laughs) Namely, his wife. Oh my god! Okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. You're right, you're right. But guys, today we are covering the first episode of Hill House, Steven Sees a Ghost. Oh god. (laughs) I know. This is nobody's favorite episode. Okay, well, (laughs) before we get to the... the, the, Before we get to my least favorite episode, the first one. <laughs> At least we're getting it out of the way, right? <laughs> yeah. Now I want you two to get good rest. What if I have a bad dream? Well, I'm sure we can handle any dream you have. What if I dream that you sent us away into the dark and me get hurt? Really hurt? <laughs> What if I'm so sad and scared of the dark out there that I put poison in me for years and years until my blood turns into poison and my heart breaks right in half and I can't feel anything happy. (laughs) I can't stand it anymore and I, I have to die. And time on a silver table. It's my jaw wired shut. Would you wake us up from a dream like that? We're not like any other family. We're different. Because of where we grew up. Hill House. Your mother, she 
was not crazy. Neither was your sister, neither is your brother, neither are you. It's that house. talk about some of our uh, source material today. Absolutely. Uh, guys, this series is based on the 1959 horror novel by Shirley Jackson. I know some of you have read Shirley Jackson, okay? Shirley Jackson is the author of over like 200 short stories. Yeah, she was a very, very prolific writer. She was a contributor to The New Yorker. She like wrote like six novels, two memoirs, and you're right, like 200 short stories. Horror and mysteries, baby. I can remember very well being read the lottery when I was in middle school. Yeah, I know y'all read the lottery. No, strike that. Let me rephrase. It was read to us when I was in elementary school. It's a very good story for elementary school kids. I think I was in fourth grade when we read the lottery. And guys, if you don't know what the lottery is, it is about a civilization of people who have their names put into a lottery, and if you're drawn, you are stoned to death. Yeah. I think it's a population control dystopia thing. Listen, Shirley Jackson walks so Margaret Atwood could run. Right? Right. I believe it. I love Shirley Jackson. Uh, We have always lived in the castle, life among the savages, of course, the haunting of Hill House. A good man is hard to find. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite short story of hers. I love it so much, I wrote a short film screenplay for it in high school. She was 48 years old when she passed away. Gosh, rest in peach. Yeah, I know. There is a movie adaptation from 1999 of this novel starring Liam Neeson and Lily Taylor, which is surprisingly a stronger adaptation of the source material than this Mike Flanagan series is. I'm going to say five words. October on the main feed. Anyway, um... (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing that the Mike Flanagan television adaptation has done is that it has actually completely... Well, not completely warped the narrative, but it's changed the narrative into something so vastly different while at the same time incorporating specific elements from the source material. Yeah, it's like it's refocused the themes and modernized it for all of us. Yeah. So it hits harder. Guys, Oculus, Hush, Ouija, Gerald's Game, he did Doctor Sleep, uh, Haunting of Hill House, of course, Haunting of Bly Manor. (laughs) These are all titles that will come up during We've Got Names. Midnight Mass, also upcoming The Midnight Club. Guys, I'm so hair on fire excited about that! I can't wait! That's gonna be about a bunch of terminal kids who are living in a haunted hospice. (laughs) Listen to me, excited for the kids with cancer! Yeah, stop. Oh my god. God. I mean, Mike Flanagan directed every single episode of this and wrote a couple of the episodes, but I think every episode is written by someone different. Yeah. I don't understand how you coordinate a writing team for (laughs) an adaptation such as this, but like, they do it. I can't believe how amazing this show is sometimes like I I don't I don't really like to watch series more than one time through unless I just 
am hair on fire in love with it. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those series. Now, you personally have actually read the novel, right? I read it when I was in college, and I tried to get it read again before we started this. I didn't finish it. Well, maybe you will. Maybe I will. By the time we're done here. Yeah, I'm going to keep reading it while we record, and I'm going to, like, you know, be looking out for things that we've talked about. So can you explain to me just briefly about the main plot of the narrative of the novel? Okay, so in the novel, it is um, it is very much like the movie with Lily Taylor, right? Mm-hmm. This young woman named Eleanor is contacted by a Dr. Montague who wants to conduct um, a sleep study at this very looming, spooky, big house mm-hmm. that is built into the side of the hill. We're never given a location for where it takes place, just the house is in the side of a hill. In every adaptation, 1963, 1999, this, it's always in New England. Yeah, it's almost always in New England. I mean, New England's one of the spookiest places in the country. That's where white people first came to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so she gets there, and there's another woman there named Theo with her. She's another participant in the study. And honestly, it's just about their time in the house about how all this spooky shit starts happening and more importantly Eleanor becoming deluded or possessed by the ghosts it's not really clear it's not clear throughout the entire novel whether these things are actually happening to her these hauntings or if she's hallucinating them and that will be a very prevalent theme in this television adaptation won't it absolutely and the book has a very grim ending Sorry, no spoilers, but uh, Eleanor does take her own life in the end. Yeah. And guys, that's another thing we have to deal with. If if you struggle with suicidal ideation or substance abuse. Trigger warning. Big ol' fat trigger warning. This, I'm honestly, this might not be the show for you. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's brutal in parts. It is very brutal in parts. So just, just keep that in mind as we move forward. The series has the ability to be both, you know, very terrifying in points, very brutal in points, but also just very deep and very cathartic in a lot of ways. It it, it helps you... I mean, I know we've done a lot of works about grief on this show, but, like, this is kind of the owner's manual. A little for, bit. For grief, you know. It, Mike Flanagan has done such a beautiful thing in this adaptation where he's taken this, you know, spooky story from the 50s and has turned it into this entire family-focused, grief-driven plot that is just kind of in ways both healing and stupefying. Yeah, I am. I describe it as having the first layer of your emotional epidermis peeled back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's a lot of things that you can learn from watching this. And what Mike Flanagan has done is he's taken the names of the characters in the book and applied them to this family that is uh, struggling with the loss of their mother between the early 1990s and the present. The series is a Netflix original. It was released on October 12th, 2018. Wild to think that's almost four years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Could have gone to high school. (laughs) The story takes place, like you said, in two principal periods of time. The past is just referred to as then. In the summer of 1992. Is it really? That's when that is? 30 years ago. The summer I was born? Exactly. Yeah, it happened the summer you were born, yeah. Oh my God, did not plan that. Yeah. Did not plan that one little bit. As a matter of fact, the story does probably go over... The time you were born, the exact time you were born, because we go from the summer into October when Olivia passes away. That's right. Yeah. Oh, and now I'm doubly excited. 
found a new way to make it about me. No. And then, obviously, it takes place in the present as well, when the kids have all grown up and are then dealing with their adult lives, right? This is the family of Hugh and Olivia Crane. We're gonna do We've Got Names for the characters in the then times Mm -hmm. first. Playing Hugh Crane in the past, we have Henry Thomas. You'll definitely recognize him from Bly Manor because... Mike Flanagan likes to work with the same group of people. Anthology. Yeah, he loves that. And then, guys, if you don't know, he's the little boy from E.T. Yeah. He's Elliot. He's so cute. He's so cute. Have you ever watched his audition tape? I know, it's perfect. Oh, it's perfect. And they're just like, you got the job, kid. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to call anybody. You got it. Why am I attracted to him? You know... I'm actually not sure. I I understand what you're saying. He's very sensitive and very supportive. I want him to be my husband and the father of my children. (laughs) Absolutely. He was also in the second Ouija movie. Ouija, Ouija, Ouija 2, whatever. Whatever. That that will come up multiple times. Then we have Olivia Crane, the mother. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, the incredible comparable Mike Flanagan Stan Carla Gugino guys you know her from Spy Kids she's Ingrid Cortez yep she was in Sin City when we covered that oh my goodness we saw your boobs (laughs) and uh she was also in Watchmen Night at the Museum fucking Night at the Museum (laughs) oh my god and then here are the kids in the order of their birth and the actors playing them Playing Stephen Crane, we got Paxton Singleton. He's very, very new to Hollywood and TV. Very talented kid. Hope he, no, I hope no one fucks with him. Yeah, me too. Uh, he was on Chicago Med a couple of times. Then we have Shirley Crane. She's played by Lulu Wilson. She's also in the second Ouija movie. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and she was in Annabelle. Uh, Annabelle Creation. Mm-hmm. She's also a very talented little actress. Actually, all of the kids in this show are stupid good. Then we have Theodora Crane. She is played by McKenna Grace. I know you'll recognize her because she's played the young version of, like, every leading lady for the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm worried about McKenna Grace. You think she works too much? I think she's maybe got some identity crises coming in. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I, Tanya, Captain Marvel, Malignant. She was in the new Ghostbusters movie. Yes, Spangler's granddaughter. I love it. And also, I mean, let's not forget, um... I'm sorry. This role of hers, she does really great in this. I mean, she was also in, uh, she was in The Conjuring. She's one of the daughters in The Conjuring. And um, who could forget Esther Keys in uh, Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale? That's right. That that arc, her character arc on that show is so upsettingly disturbing. Like, <laughs> I'm the mistress of this house. No, you're like 12. Yeah, I know. Playing Luke Crane today, we have Julian Hillard. He's actually part of the Marvel Universe now. All right. Because <laughs> he was in Doctor Strange and he's in WandaVision. He's also uh, in one of the Conjuring sequels. I think it's The Devil Made Me Do It. Mike! <laughs> <laughs> Playing his twin sister, Eleanor Nelly Crane, we have Violet McGraw. She was in Doctor Sleep. Mike! Are you just going to say that every time? Yeah. (laughs) And she is in a favorite SBU episode of mine, actually. Mm -hmm. She's also very new, hasn't had a chance to do a lot yet. Playing Mrs. Dudley in the then times, we have Annabeth Gish. 
one of the most accredited actors in this ensemble. Annabeth Gish queen okay <laughs> you might you might remember her from uh nbc's the west wing as elizabeth bartlett weston daughter of you know democratic president josiah bartlett she was also on sons of anarchy she played the fbi agent or you the... love that shit i do actually yeah. i was surprised at how much i enjoyed that show <laughs> nothing about it seems appealing to me x-files mystic Pizza? Yeah, Mystic Pizza. Every time I have to utter the words Mystic Pizza on this show, I become more and more inclined to click, you know? Playing Mr. Dudley today, her husband, we have Robert Longstreet, who is one of my new favorite actors. Yeah, I know, right? He's He does such a good job. He was also in Dr. Sleep. Mike! <laughs> and he's in Midnight Mass. Mike! He plays Joe Colley. Yeah, Joe Colley. Justice for Joe Colley. Yeah, for real. In the now times, <laughs> in the present day. 2018. Yeah, 2018. <laughs> all the children are grown up, obviously. They all have different problems. They're estranged from their father and from each other. And they will be brought back together by tragedy once more. We've got names for the now, for the present. We have playing Hugh Crane, Timothy Hutton. Boo! <laughs> Boo! Yeah. You don't like Timothy Hutton? He's not a good guy. Oh, he's not? No, he's got uh, the allegations. Oh, no. Yeah, but the thing is, like, why Why couldn't Henry Thomas have just kept playing him? I why, don't know. Why did we need an older version of Hugh to be played by an older actor? I'll never know. <laughs> close in age, are they not? Henry Thomas could have done both. I don't know why we needed to pay Timothy Hutton to be in this, but... Timothy Hutton was also in How to Get Away with Murder, Jack Ryan, Ordinary People, The Last Holiday. Okay. <laughs> Move on, please. Playing Stephen Crane, we have Michael Huisman? Huisman? I think it's Mikiel Huisman. Mikiel Huisman? Because he's Dutch. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. You guys will recognize him from Game of Thrones. He played Dario, like Danny's little side piece. I was going to say, isn't he going to be uh, Danny's boyfriend? We're watching it right now. I've never seen it before. And Carrie Ann's not making me watch it, but highly encouraging it and probably what we're going to be doing when I'm hanging out at her house. Yeah. And he's also currently in the Age of Adeline. He was on Nashville with Connie Britton. He's insanely hot. He is insanely Sorry. hot. I, and I hate his character and it makes it... It makes it hard. It gives me an inner conflict. Yeah, Steven's always our least favorite character. Oh, my God. Playing adult Shirley Crane, we have Elizabeth Reeser. I love Elizabeth Reeser. The Family Stone. Mm -hmm. Young adult. She's also in the second Ouija movie. She's Esme Cullen. On the Twilight Saga. In Twilight, yeah. <laughs> She's also in American Crime Story, Impeachment. I just, I love her. Isn't she in The Handmaid's Tale too? She is, she's the first lady of Gilead. Ew. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Playing adult Theodora Crane, we have the love of my life and the love of Mike Flanagan's <laughs> life, Kate Siegel. His wife. <laughs> she's just... Uh, I don't have words. Uh, okay, Hush by Mike Flanagan. Hush was so creepy that I couldn't even take it, and she did such a good job in that movie. She did. She was in Oculus as well. She's also in the Ouija movie. Gerald's Game, Haunting a Blind Manor, Midnight Mass. Mike! <laughs> She's our modern scream queen! Indeed, indeed. God, her Midnight Mass performance is so incredible. I know. I can't get over it. Playing adult Luke Crane, we have Oliver Jackson Cohen. Hey, babe! 
Herb. Oh yeah, you like Oliver, don't you? Uh, I hate, I, I hate this American accent. I know. Haunting a Bly Manor. Uh huh. With the, with the Scottish with brogue. his actual Scottish accent. I'm just. Sorry. <laughs> he was also in Invisible Man with uh Elizabeth Moss. Yes, with of, Elizabeth- <laughs> of The Handmaid's Tale. So many crossovers. Yeah. Playing adult Nellie Crane, we have Victoria Pedretti. She's the star of Bly Manor. Victoria Pedretti. Do you not have words? She's so hot. She is. I'm sorry, and she's such a good actress. She's, she's not just hot, she's also a good actress. I know you haven't seen you. And I won't. I know, and I understand and that. And don't you ever suggest that I watch it, please. <laughs> I love it, though. I don't have time for it. I don't have time for this sociopath and his murdering ways. Anyway. couple of honorable mentions, because they're not heavily involved in this episode, but we also have playing Lee Crane, Stephen's wife. We have Samantha Sloyan, Bev from Midnight Mass. I'm still disturbed. I know. I, I, I really can't. And then just for this episode, we have an actress named Saida Arika Ekulona. She's playing Irene Walker. She's in a favorite SVU episode of mine, mm-hmm. actually, where she beats the shit out of some attacker. I love it. And Kevin can wait. Irene, Saida, what are you doing? <laughs> All right, guys. I, are you ready to begin? I'm ready to begin. Uh, the beginning of the end. Oh, oh sorry. I can't. We begin then in Massachusetts. They've already, at this point in the episode, moved into the house. They've already got everything set up. And we're just looking at the house from the outside. That's right. It's very creepy. We get this opening narration from adult Steve. Hill House, not sane stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for a hundred years before my family moved in, and might stand a hundred more. Within, walls stood upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there, walked alone. That sends chills up my spine every time. Immediate cerebral stimulation. Oh my good grief. And it's just like, just looking at the house, it's so big and so... I mean, it's not so big. I've seen bigger houses. I mean, it is pretty fucking huge, dude. Like, and it's also just like this amalgamation of architectural styles that I'm really liking. Yeah. It's not one style. Like, Like, it could be a castle. It's almost like it's got as many styles as the many different kinds of people that are living there, right? Well, living. (laughs) I'm using quotation marks. I (laughs) quit. You quit? Oh, my God. (laughs) So yeah, like I said, the family, the Crane family has already gotten moved in. We open with oldest brother, Steve. He's around 13, 14 years old, right? Mm -hmm. And he wakes up in the middle of the night in this new house, and he hears his little sister Nell crying. Nell had a nightmare. She's so cute. She is cute. I hate, I hate the journey Nell will go on. I know, it's so awful. Okay, Nellie. You scared? That's okay. I get scared too sometimes. Are you awake, Luke? Because Nellie's awake. But yeah, he goes down to Nellie's bedroom. She actually shares a bedroom with Luke. Her twin brother. Her twin brother. You know what I love? What? Why are you awake, Luke? Because Nellie's awake. 
Yeah. Uh, it's just a twin thing. It's you just know? a twin thing. Yeah. Hey, you and I have a little bit of that between we do, us. We do have a bit of a twin thing, even though we are not twins. Like, sometimes I'll be having a really bad day for no reason. And it turns out I have had a bad day. For a real reason. Yeah, for a real reason. And, and I'm, like, experiencing sympathy emotions. And vice versa. Ooh, yeah. It's weird. He goes into her room and he's like, what's the matter? And she goes, I had another nightmare about the bent neck lady. The bent neck lady. Yeah, fuck the bent neck lady. Um, and that's when Hugh appears at the door. When, when Dad's here. And this is where Hugh explains to Nell. That she. It, I love this analogy, actually. The writing. Yeah, the writing in this in this series is god tier. I know. He explains that dreams can sometimes spill over when you pop out of them, right? Mm -hmm. That moment between sleep and awake where you're in both worlds and you're not sure what's real. Like when I wet the bed a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah. I was just like having a really nice, intense dream (laughs) where I was in this gigantic shower and then I woke up and I was pissing. (laughs) And I stood up out of my bed like, what the fuck? Yeah, it can spill over. Your dream literally spilled over. Yeah. Just like a cup of water can spill sometimes. But kids' dreams are special. They're like... An ocean. An ocean. That's right. And the big dreams can spill out sometimes. And Nellie insists very sincerely that she's seen this ghost. But, like, Stephen's never seen anything like that in this house while they've been living here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the title of the episode is called Steve Sees a Ghost. Yeah. But Stephen doesn't see ghosts the way his little brothers and sisters do. Yeah. His little brothers and sisters have already had multiple hauntings happen to them since they've moved into the house, and he's never seen anything like it. And, you know, obviously Hugh doesn't believe in ghosts either. Dad doesn't believe in ghosts either, so... He just tells her to go back to sleep. It's fine. And Hugh goes back to his bedroom while Nellie is laying there trying to go to sleep. And guys, she's on her side trying to go back to sleep. And you can see over her shoulder the bent neck lady in shadow. And she's just getting closer and closer. And we get that musical sting. She leans into the moonlight. Ah! Cue the theme song! How fucking ominous is this? This haunting piano? Overlaid over all the imagery of the statues yeah. that sit in the house that are slowly crumbling. Because that's the thing about every adaptation of Hill House, right? Is that the house is just plagued by these gargantuan, gargoyle-esque statues and stoneworks. And yeah, it's wood carvings. So gorgeous. Yeah. I don't know where they filmed the 1999 movie at, but it was in England. You know, it was in England. That was some great architecture. I want to visit that house someday. It's real. Oh. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> and like, we're also seeing almost like a model of the house itself, mm-hmm. but the interior is laid out like a labyrinth. Yeah. It's so spooky. And the theme closes out on the keyhole to the door that leads what will from here on out be known as 
the Red Room. Yeah. The Red Room's a very important fixture throughout this series. The room with the red door that can't be opened. It's so, I can't. Ross, look, I have goosies. I know, I I know. Every single one of my hairs is standing up on end. Now we go to now. We're in Los Angeles, California. And again, this is Steve's episode. That's how the series is structured Mm -hmm. in in the first half of it. We get an episode for each member of the family living in this house. And a couple extras. And a couple extras. Because it's 10 episodes. Yeah. And so we're getting Steve's episode first. Steven has grown up to become a writer He writes ghost stories for a living. Imagine that. Yes. And he's meeting with a woman named Irene Walker, who is actually a very big fan of his. He's successful, or at least was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he, he had a really hard start getting into writing, but the moment he wrote about his experiences in the house, his career took off. Yeah, because it was like a tabloid sensation when it happened. Yeah. That summer of 1992. And he is interviewing this woman, Irene, about her own personal experiences with haunting for his new book. How awful. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that, Steve. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of Steve, but yeah, <laughs> it's not too difficult for Steve to upset me. I love kids, Steve. I yeah. want to be his friend. I don't like... Adult Steve? I don't like adult Steve. Carl was driving on Rural 86 during the storm. Do you remember that storm? He was up in the boons when he lost control of the car. He went over a guardrail and went down a ravine. The car flipped over and you couldn't see it from the road, especially because of the rain. Irene has just recently lost her husband, Carl, in a very terrible accident. He died during a rainstorm in a car crash. It was very gruesome. He went off a bridge and he was upside down in the cab of the truck. And he tried to honk the horn to let someone know he was down there. But he couldn't push the horn very hard because mm-hmm. his arm was broken. And Irene tells Stephen this story about how she was woken up in the night by water dripping on her head like the rainstorm that night that Carl died. And she looks up and she just sees Carl hanging over the bed. Mm. It's funny. You think you'd scream after seeing something like that, but you don't. You just stare. You just stare at it like you're an idiot. And then his mouth fell open. But it wasn't a scream. It was a car horn coming from his mouth. Oh, it's horrible. Mm, Sorry, shaking. Willies. This is the first really great example of how this show is... Honestly, just great theater. Yeah, yeah. Because there aren't a lot of cuts between shots. Actors have to give full, rounded-out performances to camera as if they're giving them to an audience. Mike, 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 Mike! I know, he's genius! And Steve is sitting there all smarmy. He doesn't believe her for a second about any of these hauntings. Yeah. He's a skeptic. For crying out loud, he grew up in a haunted house and never once saw a ghost. This book series of his, the haunting of this, the haunting of that, you know, all these different so, so-called so haunted places around the world. He's never seen a ghost at any one of them. And I'm just like, come on, Steve. 
And so he wants to take a look around her house and spend the night in that room where she says she saw her husband's ghost. And he's walking around and goes to her bookshelf and sees all his books sitting there. And she starts musing about how wonderful his work is, especially in the first book. And again, Stephen is adamant that in all that time in the house, he never once saw a ghost. And besides, you've got me beat. What do you mean? I mean, if you actually saw your husband hanging upside down over your bed, you've seen more than I ever have. I've never seen a ghost. But your books? Uh, not in Arlington, Danvers, Alcatraz, on the Queen Mary or in Williamsburg, and not in Hill House. Don't no. meet your heroes. <laughs> yeah, don't meet your heroes, y'all. <laughs> And so Steve then gets a call from his little sister, Nellie, remember, who was dreaming about the bent neck lady then? Mm -hmm. And honestly, we don't know what's going on with adult Nellie right now. She's obviously in a state of distress, and she's just calling all her siblings, just going down the list. Yeah. And the second person to ignore her call is her older sister, Shirley. Mm -hmm. Shirley runs a funeral parlor with her husband, Kevin, in, I hope I'm saying this correctly, Methuen, Massachusetts? Muthen, Massachusetts. Muthen? That is not how you should spell that. Anyway. How is it spelled? It's spelled M-E-T-H-U-E-N. Oh, I was spelling it wrong in my head. So (laughs) that is Methuen. Methuen, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the funeral parlor is in Methuen, Massachusetts. It's right on the border with New Hampshire. Yeah. From Massachusetts, which is funny because the 1999 film takes place in New Hampshire. And Shirley is very passionate about funereal work in her adult life because it helped her a great deal when she was a kid dealing with her mother's passing and everything. And now she's trying to help other families. And she's sitting there listening to that voicemail that Nellie left her. It's Nell. Um, I need you to call me. It's hard to understand. Everything's so twisted and it's hard to explain. But I'm worried about Luke. Have you talked to him? Nellie's worried about Luke, her twin brother Luke. Mm-hmm. Their brother Luke has been struggling with addiction for a very long time, and Shirley's really unsure of what she should do about it. The family has kind of more or less shunned Luke. Yeah, kind of written him off. Yeah. They did try to help him initially. But he just didn't accept it in the right way and ended up hurting them even more. Yeah. Addiction is the most brutal thing. It's a disease, and you never surrender to the disease, but you also don't let it tear your own life apart as well Yeah. when you got a loved one going through that. And so they can't get a hold of Luke, so Steve just advises that they stay out of it. He checks in with the rehab where Luke is supposed to be, and he's actually doing fine. He got a 90-day chip. Yeah. That's a big damn deal, being in recovery that long. And so, like, nobody really understands what Nelly is so afraid of or nervous about. Yeah, and they're kind of trivializing it. Mm-hmm. We go back to then, and in the past, little Shirley has been looking for a way to open this room, which will, again, be henceforth known as the Red Room. I love the way this set is, you know, got little wisps and, you know, hints at past productions and adaptations, like... This door that they're trying to get into is in, like, the third floor hallway off from the library. Yeah. And in the library, there's this, you know, big wrought iron 
spiral staircase mm-hmm. and like that's the sh- I love the shot of Shirley going up the staircase for the first time because that was all obviously what's in the greenhouse yeah in the 99 adaptation and, and it's in the book too yeah Shirley goes to her father and Mr. Dudley this is where we see Mr. Dudley for the first time he's the groundskeeper for the property and his wife Mrs. Dudley is the housekeeper mm-hmm. and so they go to they go to him to get a skeleton key that's supposed to open any door in the house yeah, yeah. And Shirley and Nellie are on their knees trying to jimmy this key into the lock, and the handle won't turn. Yeah. Even the skeleton key won't work. And I love Nellie. Nellie thinks there's going to be a pony in there. What do you think is in there? What if it's a cotton candy machine? That'll be something. Or a pony. Not a pony. This isn't working. It could be a pony. Something was moving. I saw the shadow under the door. Well, this door's been locked for years and years and years and years, so if there's a pony in there, it's dead. And as they run away to go maybe find another key... Daddy, we need more keys. It's an emergency. (laughs) It's an emergency. I love her so much. But, guys, we see the shadow move under the door. Uh -uh. Someone is clearly standing on the other side of that door. No, 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 now, now, now. Go to now, now. Back to the now. We jump back to the present, and Steve is setting up a camera and recording equipment in the bedroom where Irene says she saw the ghost of her husband. And I hate this conversation because Steve's already horrible. And then on top of that, Irene asks him if the equipment will capture supernatural activity. And this is where Steve launches into this whole explanation of why he doesn't believe in that word, supernatural. Mm -hmm. He prefers the word preternatural. There's natural phenomena that we understand, and then there's natural phenomena that we don't. Primitive humans used to die of fright during an eclipse. I had no idea what it was. The eye of an angry god, an evil spirit. Nothing supernatural about it, though. Once we understood what it was, well, it was just natural. I mean, there's kind of, I find myself kind of agreeing, Uh but then I'm like, I don't really know, you know? (laughs) No, yeah. I mean, he's got a point. There were things that we couldn't explain a long time ago that we can now explain. Like when people would die from fright during an eclipse, (laughs) which I can't even imagine. How do you just die from fright? I imagine your heart stops. I I guess, like... (laughs) Can you imagine being an early human like that? No. And then the eclipse happens, and you're like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) The world is ending. And I just love Irene. So does it capture that? (laughs) (laughs) This white man. Now it's time to meet my favorite of the Crane children. Mike. Theodora. Oh, Kate Siegel. We're in Boston, Massachusetts. We're in a poppin' club. I love this club. This looks like fun. It is. And uh, we see Theo in all of her beautiful queer glory. She is a lesbian. She is a doctor of psychology. Theodora Crane, PhD? Yeah. She's a 10, but she puts everyone off with her resting bitch face. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She's just wearing jeans A bra and suspenders. How very 90s of you, Theo. (laughs) And gloves. She's also wearing gloves, but we'll come back to that in a second. She's in the process of picking up this very cute woman named Trish, and she takes her back to her house where she lives, which is the guest house 
on Shirley's property. Of the funeral home. She lives next to the funeral home on her sister's property. And they, um, <clears throat> they get done. Yes. <laughs> they finish. And Trish is trying to make small talk after Theo has rocked her world. Trish is trying for some human connection here. But uh, Theo's not that much interested in conversation. She literally kind of, she throws her out, basically. <laughs> is it something I said? Was it something I said? No. We just did what we came here to do, yeah? Okay, then. She's a little standoffish, right? I mean, I'm thinking boundaries. No, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, take that away from her. I've done that to people. You know, during my summer of savor. Yes. Where, you know. We, we all remember 2015, <laughs> we, yes. We punched that time clock and I went, <laughs> all right, time to scoot. <laughs> I don't want you here anymore. And so, yeah, she puts her gloves back on and throws Trish out. The fact, the, the reason behind why she wears gloves goes unexplained for entirely too long. Yeah. But, like, she's just always wearing gloves, regardless of the weather. And so she takes a couple of beers up to the porch where Shirley has been sitting, enjoying the night air. <laughs> when Trish is leaving. Hi. She's just waving at the strange woman. She can't believe another woman is leaving her house. And she's teasing Theo about it. She's like, you're like a guy. Is she coming back? No. She's sweet enough, but pile of issues. I just don't think you can really know so much after such a quick encounter. Who's saying it's quick? I'm a giver. You're like a guy. You're worse than a guy. You're like a frat guy. I said you could live here. I wasn't expecting the pussy parade. Not pussy parade. <laughs> I need a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, she's incredulous. You're like a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so the two of them start having a conversation about Luke and Nellie. Most problems in the now are heavily related to the two of them, to the twins, because they're twins and their older siblings are really at a loss for how to help them anymore. Yeah. And Theo advises that Shirley should put up boundaries when it comes to Nellie because, I mean, with both of them, really, because they're clearly, they're, they're not beyond help. And Shirley's just so much more afraid of the alternative. Like, what if I don't help them? What's going to happen to them? Exactly. Like, they might die, sincerely, especially Luke, who's in, like, his 14th rehab program. Mm -hmm. Because being in recovery is a son of a bitch. Yeah. It's very difficult. Now we're in Jacksonville, Florida, in the now, and we meet adult Hugh, Timothy Hutton, mm -hmm. who is woken in the middle of the night by a call from Nellie. And this conversation is nothing short of chilling. Nell? Daddy. Honey, are, are you okay? What, what time is that? Do you remember the bent neck lady? Yes. She's back. And Hugh immediately goes into dad mode. He's like, listen, I don't know what's going on with you right now, but, you know, you're, you're close to Steve. Go to Steve's house. Be with Steve. For the love of God, don't be alone. And he asks her, where are you right now? And she says she's at home in bed. Like in L.A. Yeah, like in L.A. But she's not, guys. She is in the car, and she's parked in front of Hill House. She's in Massachusetts! She's in Massachusetts! She is 3,000 miles away from home! I don't know. She, she wouldn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. I'm going. And as soon as he hangs up, 
Hugh starts packing a bag to go be with her in California because Nellie cannot be left alone. And he's talking seemingly to nobody. Yeah. He's just muttering to himself while he's putting clothes in a bag. It's weird. It's so creepy. And he goes to open the door to his room to leave, and we smash cut back to then. This is the last night in Hill House. The, The cinematography and the production work on this is just so amazing. We cut to young Hugh opening the door to Steven's bedroom in the middle of the night that very last night that they all spent in the house, and he's spooked. He doesn't even let Steven put shoes on before they go to the door. I really can't handle this part. You can't? It's so creepy. They go to open the door, and then the doorknob starts moving on its own. So he grabs the doorknob so that it can't be turned. He turns to Steven and he goes, I'm gonna carry you. You keep your eyes closed no matter what you hear. You don't open them. You promise? Do you promise? I promise. He picks Stephen up and starts carrying him towards the stairs. And of course, Stephen opens his eyes once they're in the hallway. Stupid kid. And he sees a spooky something. Yeah. He sees a spooky something limping towards them out of the shadows. But they turn the corner before we can get a good look at it. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck was that thing? Yeah. Oh my God. And they get all the way downstairs and outside where the other kids are waiting in the car. They're all upset. They're all crying. Yeah. And wondering, yelling, where's mom? The way he doesn't even look up, that wasn't mom. I'm like, ah, ah, what do you mean that wasn't mom? What's going on? And then they start driving away in this station wagon. And, like, Steven has to hop into the back. And he's just like, Dad, what about mom? What about mom? Dad, we can't leave mom. Dad! 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 hate that. This is the beginning of Hugh refusing to give these kids straight answers to their questions about what happened that last night in the house. I mean, all these kids know is that their mom is dead. Yeah, that's literally all they know. They know that she took her own life in the house, and they have no other information besides that. Or at least that's what they've been told. Yeah, he won't talk to them about it. And so we cut back to the present, And Steve is spending the night in Irene and Carl's old bedroom to see if he sees, you know, Carl's ghost. And he lays down to go to sleep. And he starts having this dream about Nellie as an adult in Hill House, waltzing through the house by herself. She's waltzing like she has a partner, but there's no one standing there. And also, it's, of course, in the dead of night. The house is as it is now. Filthy, unclean, decrepit, overgrown, r- ungrown, overgrown, and run down. And like the music is just building. And this is a very important moment. We see Theo's clock, her digital clock, tick to 3.03 a.m. Witching hour! Ah. <gasps> now he's in the red room. <laughs> <sighs> 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 
And all of the kids, Theo, Shirley, Luke, Steven, they all wake up clutching their throats. What the fuck is this? <laughs> you know those moments when you feel a cold spot? Like like the John Mulaney bit where he's like, I wonder who that used to be. When I rip ass in the night, do you also rip ass in the night? <laughs> No, no, I've never. Is the connection that deep? <laughs> I don't know, man, but like all these kids, all these adults, now grown adults, clearly just experience the same thing together. Yeah. And Steve settles down to go back to sleep and he starts feeling water drip on his forehead, just like Irene says happened to her. And he's like, no fucking way. And he gets up and starts investigating the room and realizes. There's a leak in the roof right over Irene's side of the bed. Mm -hmm. And he's like looking at this leak going, oh, well, there's one thing explained. Yeah. And then he gets the shit scared out of him when two cars almost collide at the intersection outside. So this is starting to come together as rather a good explanation for what the fuck scared the shit out of her. Yeah, Stephen explains to Irene that she was never haunted at all. It was just a combination of contributing factors that really freaked her out. Because this was a time of high distress. Probably can't sleep very well. Yeah, she's already not sleeping well. And then, like... Thinking about all the horrible ways her husband came to an end. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> Irene is prickly because she doesn't like being told she's crazy, you know? Yeah. And she's like, what about what I saw? Why would I choose to hallucinate my husband hanging over me like that? Yeah, and I'm like, Irene, I feel you, baby. I do. But then Steve comes back with something that is annoyingly a good point. Why would I want to see my Carl like that? Because it's better than never seeing him again. Most times a ghost is a wish. That, to me, is the entire thesis statement of this entire series. Yeah. Like, in my mind, like, a ghost is just a wish. Things we see that we think are ghosts are just our grief coming back to haunt us again. An actual haunting. It's an actual haunting. It's the memory of something we wanted but either didn't get or didn't get to keep. And I just, oh, I love that throughout this entire show. There are things about that that I do differ in opinion on. Yeah, but you've like, actually been haunted, though. I don't know anymore, Carrie. <laughs> you don't know anymore? I really don't know anymore. It's but okay. Like, we don't have to talk about I, it. I didn't. All I'm saying is I did not wish for any of that. Of course not. Now we're going to get into the core of the web of reasons why all these siblings are estranged from each other in the now. And a big part of it is the fact that Stephen wrote the book about the house. Indeed. And out of everyone, Shirley has the most problems with it. Smash cut to like six years ago or something. Shirley slamming the book down in front of him. What the fuck, Steve? I mean, you know. <laughs> you didn't like it. No, I didn't like it. What's going on? My brother just raped the family is what's going on. Hang on. Look, I get that things haven't exactly been going well with your writing. And when you said you wanted to do a book about the house, I understood that. But this is... I, I sent you guys the manuscript in case you had any objections. I, I didn't have to do that. Of course we object. I object, Steve. 
I don't know. Like, if I had gone through something like that, I wouldn't really be okay with it either, you know, at least not without being consulted. And I mean, I guess that's what he's trying to do is consult them before it goes like wowie zowie published, you know? Yeah, like the manuscript, right? Mm -hmm. And like Shirley hates it. She's like, you make our entire family sound crazy. Like, it's worse than what they were printing in the tabloids in here. Shirley hates that he's picking at this emotional scab just to launch his writing career. They all went through a lot and it messed them all up for life. But it killed their mother for crying out loud. And Steve is the one who was least affected by it because he claims he never saw anything. And now he's picking through their experiences for a buck. Yeah, it's not a good look. Um, hate you, Steve, kind of. A like- little bit. And, you know, he's like, you know what? I'm, he intends to share the profits with them. Like, it's not like it's going to be all his and nothing for anybody else. Shirley goes, you sent me the book. Now you know what I think. You publish this, you know what it costs. You know what it costs. I love how her voice is echoing as it cuts back to Steve signing the book for Irene. Yeah. You know what it costs. And that memory makes him ease up on his naysaying with Irene's experience. And he tells her that he'll write her story for his new book. Mm-hmm. And I just like, God damn it, Steve. It's not that hard to be a good person. We're back in the past, and little Steven is in a meeting with his father and his father's lawyer. Why did you bring the kid to the lawyer? Because the lawyer wants to put Steven on the stand. Oh, because he's the oldest. He is the oldest, and he apparently saw something that night, the lawyer thinks. And this is has nothing to do with Olivia's death. This is in regards to the custody battle that Hugh is currently in with his late wife's sister, Janet. Janet, I think thinks fishily. That's not a word. I, she <laughs> thinks the whole situation was fishy. You know... She's suspicious of Hugh. Because, like, I mean, she wasn't around then. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So she doesn't really know what Olivia was going through at the time, but she knows her sister, mm-hmm. and this doesn't sound like her to her at all. Because it was an apparent suicide, right? Yeah, so she's very, very suspicious of her brother-in-law, Hugh, and the uh, what he might have had to do with her being not around anymore. And they're fighting over custody of the children, now that her sister has passed, and she's claiming that Hugh is unstable because of the things he said about the last night in the house. Like, he claims the house killed Olivia. Yeah. That is some unhinged shit to say out of context. Uh-huh. But l- how would anybody ever get the full context of what went on in that house unless they were there? And like I said, the lawyer wants to put Stephen on the stand because Stephen can corroborate some of the events of the night, but Hugh won't let him. They didn't see anything. That's not the point. My kids don't take the stand, Ross. I've been clear about that. I had my that. eyes closed when we left. You don't say anything, Stevie. No one else can corroborate your story, Hugh. That's right. The judge hears you talk about packing five kids into your car at three in the morning. They're going to wonder why they aren't hearing from those kids. The media's already piling on. That's Hugh's entire purpose in this narrative, to stand between the kids and whatever threat there might be, right? The protector. Standing at the door, holding the door Mm -hmm. against whatever monster's on the other side. And the creepy thing is that Hugh wants to keep the house. He doesn't want to sell it. He wants to lock it up tight, make sure no one goes near it, 
the Dudleys, the groundskeepers, they stay on, and it sits there and it rots, he says. He's adamant about it. I mean, he doesn't want anybody else to go through the same shit. Yeah, holy shit. And we cut back to the now. Steven's in the car reminiscing about that pleasant experience. And we haven't talked about it yet, but Steve is married to a woman named Lee. He's just not living at home right now. Yeah, he fucked up. Imagine that. Steve fucked up. (laughs) They're on the skids right now over something that we'll learn about later. And he calls her on the phone because his dad told Nell to go to their house, right? But what dad doesn't know is that he's not living there right now. (laughs) Yeah. And so he calls Lee to tell her, hey, my sister might show up. Because my dad told her to go, and I didn't tell him about us yet. At my my house? Oh, you can hear the irritation in her voice. And he's like, the house, yes. Why? My dad told her to. I I didn't get a chance to tell him. But I'm sorry, you can just point it at me. Is that all? Maybe I can come by and we can talk about this some more. You know what you'd have to say? You tell me. Is there any point? And then hangs up. Click. Oh my God, Lee. She is salty about something. We cut back to the past, and Stephen, little Stephen, is in the kitchen having a snack. And this is where we get our first look at Mrs. Dudley. She's so hot and so creepy. I. <laughs> I'm sorry. Annabeth Gish? Yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Dudley, the housekeeper, is a very severe and religious, buttoned-up woman, but she's still a nice woman. She's not, like, cronish or anything. She and Mr. Dudley come with the house. Because houses this size need a staff. And, yeah, that's what he asks her, right? Yeah, like, my dad says you come with the house. Like, they're a Happy Meal toy. Yes. And she she is telling him about the family that used to live there and how the hills, right? This is the spiel that's always in the book and in the other adaptations of this. Yeah, absolutely. So the people that lived here before us, the hills, so they were all alone? Oh, yes. No one would live nearer than town. No one will come any nearer than that. So yes, they lived all alone, in the night, in the dark. That's a line that's repeated over and over again in the book. Mrs. Dudley really wants everyone to know how terrifying it is here when the sun goes down. It's like she's an NPC. Giving, yeah, yeah. Giving the same prompt whenever you speak to her. One of the best, too. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, listen, you know, we make your dinner and we leave. We don't stay in this house after dark. I come back and clean up in the morning. They do not like this house. They are freaked out by it. The Dudleys also live all the way on the other side of this property. Yeah, they technically live at the on the property, but they live on the edge of it. Yeah. Through the woods. And no one lives any nearer than town. No one will come any nearer than town. But Steve isn't phased by any of this ghost talk. He doesn't believe in ghosts. So she starts trying to put the fear of God in him, asking him if he's read the Gospels of the Bible. And this is where his mother... Olivia, hey babe, <laughs> decides to make her presence known. I know this is. I'm her- sorry, the, all her fits. I know. Oh, I want her to be my mom. Her fits are to die for. You know, or do I want her to be my lover? I don't know what you I want. I can't tell. You better get it figured out. <laughs> 
Do you know the Gospels, young man? He does. Hugh and I decided when Steve was little. Uh, see, we knew that throughout his life he'd be exposed to all sorts of ideas and, and beliefs, that there'd be all sorts of people who'd tell him they had the answers. I'm sorry, I meant no offense. Everything about who Olivia aspires to be as a parent is who I aspire to be as a parent. It's just beautiful. Her desire to make sure Steve has all the information so he can think for himself and make his own decisions. And she's very patient and supportive, encourages the kids to be exactly who they want to be and love them regardless. The way she swoops into this kitchen and in her own way is like, hey, don't indoctrinate my child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes, he knows the gospels. He's also familiar with the Talmud. Tao Te Ching, the Torah, the Quran, Greek mythology. And he reads a lot of Carl Sagan, Shakespeare. Why is that, honey? Because there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio. Than are dreamt of in your philosophy. I'm sorry, I, I need a towel. Stop! <laughs> You're just telling me to stop. <laughs> oh my God. It's the Shakespeare. It's the Carla Gugino reciting Shakespeare. Mm. And so- I think Mike Flanagan is half in love with Carla Gugino. I mean, I don't him. I'm not saying Carla Gugino made me gay. I'm saying she's not blameless. <laughs> Olivia sends Steve to find Luke and Steve goes up to Luke's treehouse, which is on the property where he's currently making a no girls allowed sign. <laughs> How do you spell girls? <laughs> <laughs> There's just a couple things about this scene I want to mention. Luke is drawing pictures with crayons and Steve notices these drawings he's made of this little girl, this strange little girl standing by the woods. And no one else has seen this child. Just Luke. He's the, oh, not even Nellie. Nellie hasn't even seen her yet. And Steve just thinks that she's his little imaginary friend. You know what her name is, right? What? Abigail. Adams? Not Abigail Adams. God no. damn it. Okay. I know. It's just Abigail, but... I'm, I'm, I miss the, I miss Jadams. I know you do. I love this, but I miss Jadams. Who's this? Some girl I saw by the woods. What's next? Oh. You know, I used to have imaginary friends too. They go away when you get bigger. S. She's not imaginary. And like, so it's just presumptively like a little ghost girl living in the woods, right? Not the little ghost girl. Another thing about this scene, the lunchbox that Luke keeps his crayons in it's an E.T. lunchbox. Literally childhood Henry Thomas on it. Henry Thomas's face is on the lunchbox. The guy playing his dad. I love that so much. And this scene is just a good one-two punch because it's really nice to see their dynamic as brothers given that they're the only boys, right? Yeah, before we get to see them as anti-brothers in adulthood. Yeah, Steve's the oldest and Luke is almost the youngest. I think he's two minutes older than Nellie. Mm -hmm. And Steve's not too cool to hang out with his little brother. Will you hang out with me? You want me to? Yeah. You can hang out all the time. We can draw together. No girls. Just Stevie and Luke. And every time I say that in a movie, I feel the need to look you in the eye and apologize for trying to shake you like you were a barnacle. I was annoying. You were. But I should have been more patient with you. Mm -hmm. I should have paid more attention to you. I loved you. I know. Until I didn't. 
I know, I know. And then we cut back to the present, and that whole scene in the treehouse just karate chops you in the throat because we cut to the present, and Steve is going into his apartment building in Los Angeles while he's living separated from Lee, and we get our first look at adult Luke standing at the top of the stairs in the building. He does not look well. He's pale, he's sweating, he looks scared. He looks like he's using again, right? Yeah, I mean, like, weren't we just in rehab today getting our 90-day chip, like... Yeah, that's... Sometimes that's how it happens. And the other thing is he's got an iPad and an expensive camera under his arm from Steve's apartment. And... This is not the first time he's robbed Steve. Yeah, I know. He's done it before so that he could have money to get drugs. Well, you, uh, this isn't what it looks like. Um, um, uh... Are you cold? Yeah. Tell you what, I've got... <clears throat> Let me see. Got 200 bucks here. You hand me that iPad, you can keep the cash and sell that old camera. And you know, Steve doesn't yell. He doesn't even get angry. He's just like, hey man, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, listen, I can't let you take that iPad. It's got stuff on it for work that I need. I, I need it, yeah. And so he offers him 200 bucks to hand over the iPad and tells him he can resell the camera. And you can see it in Luke's walk as he's walking up to him to take that money. He's so ashamed. He's so ashamed. And he's like, it's really not what you think. And like, <laughs> you know, Steve's just like, yeah, I'm sure it's not. You know, like, I'm sure Steve's heard that before. You know, I'm not using it again. No, really not at all. I just need money. And I just, oh, it's so, it's so sad. I hate money. I know. I know. And so Luke leaves Steve goes up to his door, which is now broken because Luke forced his way in, and he goes inside and he turns on the light, and Nell, of all people, is standing in the corner of his dining nook in the dark. No, she's not. She was just standing there in the dark. No, she's not. I, I, I understand. And he starts getting irate with her because, presumptively, she let Luke walk out the door with all his shit. Yeah. Did you tell Luke where I live? Did you bring him here? You just stood there and watched him loot me? Christ, no. So you hit up everybody, dragged Luke out, made dad hop on a plane. Fine. Got us all listening. What do you want? And the thing is, she's not saying anything. It's not a conversation. She's just staring at him helplessly. And before he can interrogate her further, his phone rings, right? And it's dad again on the other line. And he is crackling on the other end. You can barely hear him, but Steve can make out what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, I said it's about now. I know, I just walked in and she's, uh... That was lying. Shocking. She wasn't in L.A. She was at the house, Steve. She was at the house. She... She's dead. Steve turns around to face Nell, and Nell is in his face, and the color just starts draining out of her face, and she starts to whimper. Oh, 
that scares the shit out of Steve. Yeah, and us. And us. And he falls down, and the episode just ends with the sound of Hugh on the other end of the phone going, Steve? Stevie there? Steve. Poor goddamn Nelly. Oh my god, she's dead, guys. She died in the house. Uh. Oh my god, and that's the thing. Over the course of the next few episodes, we're going to get even more and more detail about the events leading up to Nelly's last night. Yeah, guys, it's a flashback maze, okay? <laughs> yeah, for the first few episodes, we're going to get entire episodes devoted to each family member's experience in the house. But we're not going to get all the answers until the very last one. And so it's very frustrating, but also so good. It's, it is really good, guys. I'm very excited. We get all these puzzle pieces of the timeline dropped in random random order and the farther we go along the more sense it makes and don't worry i'm here to guide you of course i'm here to guide you i've seen this show like five times and guys the next episode the next episode's about shirley yeah it's where i always i always skip episode one and start with episode two episode two so good it is it's it's like my favorite and you know there's not a character named shirley in the book which leads me to believe that they named her Shirley. After the author. After the author. Shirley Jackson, yeah. I love that. Yeah, guys, the next episode is called Open Casket. Ah! And boy, is it a bummer. Ah! A lot of these episodes are bummers, but it's such a beautiful story, guys. Yeah. It's very rare that you see horror stories told beautifully. Yeah. Like, with a sense of gothic romance about it. Yeah. And guys, I just, oh, I'm so grateful that we're here. I'm so grateful we're talking about it. Um, I kind of want to do the thing you did, <laughs> where I take your hands. Why? Not because you... Not I'm not doing anything. I'm just talking. You're sitting here letting me talk at you. Yes. Mwah. Mwah. I love you very much. I love you too. And we love you guys, Little Onions. Thank you, Little Onions, for being our patrons. It means a lot. But, you know, guys, just don't forget to be sharing us around. Share us with your friends. We want to hear from you. Yeah, if you guys got any spooky friends who are already celebrating Halloween. Spooky friends. Yeah, if you got spooky friends who are already celebrating Halloween in August, maybe let them know about the Patreon. I bet they love Hill House. I bet they do. It's such a good show. I'm probably going to watch Midnight Mass this week. Like, Oh, God. I just, that means I'll probably be around for it. I love Mike Flanagan content. Um, disturbing. I know. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom.